With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mr. What's his name? The the, the main detective. Oh, Encyclopedia friend. Brown, baby. <laughs> the main character, sorry. What's the main character's name? Scooby-Doo? <laughs> Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our oddly named friends and go head-to-head -to, -head to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert, and I'm notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I am safely behind the judge's table, letting others duke it out instead. Today's mysteries are from the esteemed children's novel series, Encyclopedia Brown, and let's meet our contestants. Our first contestant this week is a musician local to the Nashville, Tennessee area, someone that I went to college with someone who performs solo and with others and with and king and country and in wedding bands as well. Maybe you've seen slash heard him. And if not, you should go listen to him. Our first contestant is Gabe Baker. Gabe, how's it going? Woo! I'm doing great. That was a great intro. Thank you. You said everything. Uh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad <laughs> I got them. Now let's meet our second contestant. This week's contestant who is also playing is someone who you have heard their work, at least in the intro music of this podcast or any of my other podcasts or their musical stylings as Valiant Vermin and maybe DJ sets that you've seen in the Los Angeles area or sometimes New York. It's Bettina Cavamanes. Bettina, how's it going? Hello. It's me. <laughs> it is you. I'm very excited to have both of you on. I decided, let me take my two musically gifted and very talented musician friends and pit them against each other in a battle of wits for a good cause. And it. I'm very excited. Everyone listening, if you're not listening to either of the music of these two wonderful people, if you learn anything from this episode, it's that you should be listening to their music because their music is very good. That's so kind. But Tina, I didn't know you were in the music world. That's great. Yes. I mainly work as a DP, but I do it That's on the cool. side. That's it's so very sick. fun. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I should have also, yeah, right. DP, <laughs> cinematography, yeah. film things. You may have seen Bettina's or what? There's so much. so much. There's so much. You two are both so talented. Now, here's how the game works. I'll be recapping four quick mysteries from Encyclopedia Brown. Neither of you have read or seen these mysteries ahead of time. I will lay out all of the clues and then I'll ask for your accusations. Each correct guess of culprit, means, method, motive, etc. will earn you points, but but there are also bonus points at stake. If your guess is wrong and it matches my incorrect guess, you will earn a Misery Loves Company bonus point. And if anything else happens, whether your guess is completely off the wall or you say something that tickles me in whatever way, I'll throw out bonus points. It's like whose line is it anyway, except the points do matter. But also it doesn't matter because it's 2023 and the world is literally and figuratively on fire. So let's just have fun and throw bonus points around and have a good time. <laughs> if we are tied at the end of these four rounds, we will break the tie in the only fitting way, which is a sudden death riddle. But we'll see if it even comes to that. Now, before we can get into the mysteries, this is a game show for charity. So what organizations are you playing for, Bettina? Who are you going to be playing for today? 
I'm playing for this nonprofit organization called For Our Farmers. It's Philippine-based. They uh, support local farmers and fishermen and, you know, give them a few gifts here and there and make sure that they're having an easier time selling their goods. And it started over the pandemic. So it was mainly just to kind of support them while nobody was around. But now, like, kind of the world has opened up and now, like, let's just keep going. That's fantastic. That's really cool. Gabe, who are you playing for? I am playing for the Center for Refugee Services. Now, this is an organization my mom started years back, and it's based in San Antonio with the city I grew up in, San Antonio, Texas. And they support helping refugees from around the world resettle in San Antonio, giving them services, connecting them with jobs, and all the different things. So it's an incredible organization, and that's who I'm supporting. Awesome. That's fantastic. That's really cool. Well, no matter who wins, we will all win because we've heard of both of these organizations and you can look them up in the future. And for podcast listeners, I'm going to put links to both of these organizations in the description. So if you want to check them out later. Final question before we get into the mysteries. Do either of you two have backgrounds in children's mysteries series? Did you watch Scooby-Doo as a kid? Did you read the boxcar children, anything like that? Or are you just walking into this being like, I don't know, I'm just here to have fun? I don't think I've read any of them. Okay. But I loved watching Clue as a child. Nice. Clue was awesome. I thought they were really silly. And I pointed at the TV and I'm like, damn, those people are silly. (laughs) And that's my only connection to mysteries, other than the fact that maybe, like, as a child, I was just a huge chismosa. A huge what? (laughs) Gossip. Ah, So, (laughs) even even till this day, I'm very investigatory towards uh, things happening in my day-to-day life, but not assertively. Mm, So, who knows? I just like knowing things. (laughs) Life's mysteries. Solving the mysteries of life. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. What about you, Gabe? Any background in children's mystery solving? Yes. I grew up watching Scooby-Doo. It was one of my favorite all-time shows. And I grew up reading The Hardy Boys. You remember that book? Mm, I do remember The Hardy Boys. I read a couple of those. Yeah, I remember reading a few of those along the way and was very intrigued by those. One of my favorite genres is the mystery thriller realm. So like the knives out, all that kind of stuff. I love going to escape rooms. So I have an affinity for like investigating like Bettina does. I enjoy it. <laughs> okay. All right. Exciting. And one of your songs, Gabe, I feel like I saw it on social media. You have a, you have a Crack the Case Scooby-Doo-esque themed song, yes? Wow. Ooh. What is so fitting. <laughs> it's almost as if we coordinated this to plan. We actually did not coordinate this. We uh, did not. I asked you to be on this months ago, and that song <laughs> came out in between. I was like, I've nailed it. <laughs> yeah, I, I released a song uh, about a month and a half ago called Crack the Case. Now, it is a song that uses kind of mystery lyrics, but it's about love. Adorable. So there you go. Amazing. Amazing. Well, we've met our contestants. We've learned about the organizations. We've learned about their backgrounds. So now let's put the pedal to the metal and get into the mysteries. The first case is called The Case of Nemo's Tuba. That's right. I found a musical Encyclopedia Brown mystery for this musical-themed episode to kick things off. Here's how the mystery begins. The person who needs help in this case, his name is 
Nemo Huffinwiz. That's right. His name is Nemo Huffinwiz, just a normal old John Smith. Nemo Huffinwiz? Yeah, Huffinwiz, I guess because he's like a whiz of Huffin because he plays the tuba. Nemo Huffinwiz. The, the, yeah, the author Donald Sobol, just, uh, he likes to have a good time with it, you know? He likes to just give kids some apt names. Like just it. like the bully in Encyclopedia Brown, his name is Bugs Meanie. So, you know, <laughs> just people really live up to their names. Huffinwiz Khalifa. Oh, very good. Bettina's gotten our first uh, bonus points. <gasps> wow. Taking a commanding one to zero lead. <laughs> so Nemo Huffinwiz Khalifa comes to Encyclopedia Brown and Sally Kimball, his junior detective partner, because his tuba was messed with. The kids at school, we learn from Nemo, call him Tubby Tuba as an insult. And Sally says that anyone who calls you Tubby Tuba should have his valves ground off. So she is always ready to defend someone in need and she's going to beat everyone up. She does beat people up but only people who are in the wrong. So shout out to Sally Kimball forever. Nemo is part of the Summer Youth Orchestra, and earlier that day they had performed March of the Frosty Flowers in the school auditorium. And Nemo was at the dentist, and it ran late, so he arrived at the performance just as it was about to start. I love that Nemo, even though he is a kid, he has adult problems, where he's like, oh man, I was at the dentist and it was going late, so I couldn't make the performance <laughs> in time. Like, he's 12, and he's just, why would you go to the dentist on this day of all days? It's, come on, Nemo. <laughs> Better planning. Too busy. Too busy. He's got to do his. It, it was tax season. He had got hoes on the weekends. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> Nemo. Oh my Nemo. god. Dentists and <laughs> so late <raunchy>. nights. <laughs> <laughs> so in this piece, Nemo only had one note to play, and it did not go well because someone had switched the valves on his tuba. I don't know if either of you are familiar with the tuba or have ever played the tuba. Do you know how difficult it would be to switch the valves on a tuba? Like, is it just like unscrew, rescrew? I think it's more difficult than that. Okay. I think it's mechanically a part of the structure of the instrument. So whoever replaced the valve, I think is, they know what they're doing. Okay. I feel like any like woodwind type of instrument, if you adjust anything the key will change mm. like the more you tighten it it'll get f more flat or more sharp etc okay okay yeah because i think i was thinking more along the lines of gabe where someone was like unplugging and replugging but i was like isn't that just like molded in but yeah maybe it was just kind of like messing up the valves regardless a dastardly deed has yeah, taken place yeah. and we need to get yeah. to the bottom of it now, there's no way to tell if the valves are wrong until you blow into the tuba and hear the sound that comes out, according to Nemo, who I do trust since his last name is Huffinwiz. And the tuba apparently belongs to the school, and it's very heavy, so it's not like Nemo can take it home. So, in theory, whoever messed with it did it on school premises. Sally Kimball, in regards to the tuba being really heavy, says, Lugging a tuba home will flatten your feet flatter than a flat iron. Thanks for your input, Sally. We really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. Now, Nemo practiced his tuba work at the school yesterday, and it was locked in the music room overnight. So again, really doesn't seem like anyone took the tuba away. He suspects that the person behind it is Alma Higgins. That's right, Alma Higgins. He thinks that she switched up the valves because Nemo beat her in becoming the tuba player when the orchestra roles and auditions were happening. She had to play trumpet instead, which she doesn't like as much. So he thinks that she's jealous and then was trying to switch things up to make him look bad so that she could be placed as the tuba person instead. 
Nemo, this morning, was playing baseball with Mitch Jennings at Mitch's house when he saw Alma riding past on her bike. Nemo, on the day of his performance, decides to play baseball in the morning, then go to the dentist, and then go to the performance. I feel like, though Nemo is our person that we need to help out, it feels like his priorities are all out of whack. Like, he's lined up the busiest day possible on the day of the big performance. That's true. Damn. He needs yeah. to figure it out. Come on, get your priorities together. So he saw Alma riding past on her bike this morning. Nemo says that he accidentally hit her foot with the ball and she fell off her bike and got really mad because she got scraped up. She had like a cut on her lip. She was bleeding. Her leg hurt like she was walking with a little bit of a limp. So Sally Kimball and Encyclopedia Brown decide, OK, let's go question Alma, see what she has to say about this and see what's up. And on their way to Alma's place, they pass the school. So Encyclopedia Brown says, let's go in the school first and see if we can talk to anyone here. And they go in the school and they find the conductor. Mr. Downing, the conductor, is there. And Encyclopedia Brown and Sally go there and Nemo is there with them. And they all start talking about what was going on. They ask Mr. Downing, did Alma say anything to you about all of this? And he says that Alma called him before the performance saying that she hurt herself falling off her bike and was going to stay home to rest and practice the trumpet. So that's her alibi in place. They end up leaving, and then they get to Alma's place. Sally Kimball confronts her, accusing her of switching the valves right away, just blowing past the detective process. I guess she's the bad cop, too, Encyclopedia Brown's a good cop. Nemo is there, and Nemo accuses her of wanting to get him kicked off of the orchestra so that she could be the tuba player. Alma calls Nemo a mouse head. I don't know what kind of insult this is, but she calls him a mouse head and denies that she was ever near the school. She then tells the same story that Mr. Downing gave, and she said the whole, you know, heard my foot, came home to practice the trumpet. Sally says, well, we didn't hear you playing the trumpet when we arrived, so what's up with that? And she says that she had practiced it earlier, and she was already done practicing before they showed up. And after she says this, she says, now bye-bye, you sand fleas. And Encyclopedia Brown doesn't get offended by this devastating insult, but instead he says that he knows that she switched the valves and he can prove it. So I turn it over to the two of you. How did Encyclopedia Brown know that Alma was behind the tuba valve switching? Hmm. And any questions you have, I'm more than happy to answer or retrace or give names or reread descriptions, anything at all. So this bitch, Alma, <laughs> straight up lying, right? Mm -hmm. saying that she needs to go home and practice because she scraped her knee or something on the bike, even though she's well-practiced. Yeah, I think the reasoning was just she had given the reason of her falling off the bike and like hurting her leg. She gave that reasoning to the teacher. So I would guess maybe it's like a performance where she would be standing. I don't know if it's normal for trumpet players to stand, but maybe in this particular setup, she would be standing, not sitting. But basically her thought was, my leg is too hurt to play. So I'm going to just go home and practice instead. And then I guess I'll play like the next performance. I guess they have multiple performances. So she was going to practice for a future one. But that was the reasoning that she gave as to why she was not even near the school. Hmm. Yeah. Wait, with the uh, the ball kick, the thing that knocked Alma over. Yes. With old Mitch. Mm -hmm. Mitch kicked it. Kicked the ball. 
I don't know that it says who exactly happened. I think Nemo was, my understanding was that like Mitch pitched it and Nemo hit it with the bat and then the baseball hit her on the foot while she was riding by and then she fell off her bike and she was scraped up and then her leg was hurt because they could see her walking with a bit of a limp and then she had a cut on her lip as well. Those were Mm. the extent of the injuries. So hit in the foot, fell onto the leg, scrapes, cut on lip. Yes, gotcha. Is Mitch really that talented? To aim that well? It's <laughs> a good question. It is, it is a good question. It is a good question. I do think, though, I think Nemo was swinging. Nemo was uh, one Because it says Nemo, yeah. Nemo hit her with the ball, um, at least he said. Now, maybe it was something where they went rogue and they just chucked it at her. But <laughs> at least from my reading of it, I think the situation is Mitch pitch, Nemo swing and hit. It hits Alma. She falls mm. and is in pain. Yes. Wait, is the thing that we're trying to solve the the process in which it happened or who did it? Encyclopedia Brown knows that Alma did it. It's just a question of how did he know that she was lying? Mm. So it's going to be some little thing that Encyclopedia Brown knows is baloney oh, with her story. we know that Alma did it. Sorry, I missed that. Yeah, so Alma for sure did it, according to reputable source Encyclopedia Brown, who is literally never wrong. The question is just how did he know? that she was lying. So what part of either her story, alibi, something, what didn't make sense? Right. Okay. That's what I, I am asking the two of you to determine. To determine. Let's see. Is that the end of the story? Yeah. Any, the, okay, the at this point now, your guess is, and <laughs> I, I will let you know if you're right or wrong. What's, what's the other info? Okay. Okay. Got you. Got you. Are there any wit- <laughs> Are there any witnesses to her being at home? Can we call her mom? <laughs> This, I've I've given all the information. It is now just time mm. for for guesses. It's guessing <laughs> time. Point. Okay, yes. it's, it's guessing time. It's guessing Whatever time. you think, we just kind of honor system it here. So if you both have the same reasoning, that is okay, and I can give points to both of you. I trust that you wouldn't be, you know, cheating on each other's exams, so to speak. Right. I was trying to think if there was like some inside job with Mister Downing, man. Whoa. I mean, he had, you know, I don't know. There's something about the. Yes, the layers of very likely her being jealous that she got her place taken Mm -hmm, as mm -hmm. the tuba player. And then the one performance at which she is not there, that the one tuba player, his tuba is messed up. It seems too uncanny, right? Okay, so you're thinking her and the teacher are in it together. Now that is presumptuous. The teacher is. Yeah. What would know, the? Why would the teacher? Why is the teacher having to do it? That's just a question. That's just a thought. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. It would be a deep cut. Maybe like the the, the sequels. Like, oh, Mr. Downing's was actually part of it. <laughs> <laughs> he was the real culprit. I would be so embarrassed if I were Mr. Downing and be like, "Whoops, my my entire orchestra, absolutely terrible." <laughs> oh man, they were just creating new plots at this point. Mm-mm. So from the notes I took, mm-hmm. <laughs> just filling the gaps, mm-hmm. perhaps I missed a sentence or so. Nemo is suspecting Alma because she wanted to be the actual player. Mm-hmm. She's on the trumpet now, but mm-hmm. he knows that her true desire is to be the tuba player. So right. he thinks she switched him up to make him look bad so that he gets fired and she can take his spot on the orchestra stage yeah emotionally that's justifiable but we're looking (laughs) for hard facts here (laughs) baseball in the morning dances in the afternoon performance in the evening Mm, maybe Uh, i guess that was the order of the events Mm -hmm. unless baseball was like (laughs) 
This is all taking place on the same day. So I guess it would be like baseball in the early morning, dentist in the late morning, performance at like afternoon. And then now they're doing all this crime solving in the I late see, afternoon. I see. Home before dinner. It's a full day. <laughs> same day. Yeah. Yeah. They're like 11 or 12. <laughs> full day. Full day. Oh, man. I wish my days were that adventurous then. You have motive, right? Presumably. Now it is has to come with ability. She has the ability. She has the knowledge of the tuba to be able to finagle with the instrument. The location is the other thing, right? She was riding past the school. Oh, wait. Her house is riding past the school. Is that correct? You pass the school to get to her place. Pass the school to get to her place. They saw her riding the bike towards the school. Towards the school. She falls off the bike on her Mm -hmm. way to the school. Yeah. She tells Mr. Jennings, I can't do it. Mr. Downing, but yes. (laughs) Mr. Downing. (laughs) Mitch Jennings, that's that's Mitch's father. Yes, Different father figure in the story. (laughs) She tells Mr. Downing she can't do it via phone or in person? Via phone. She called. Via phone. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. And obviously she tells, does it say when she tells Mr. Downing? Before the performance, it says Mr. Downing told them that Alma called him before the performance and said she hurt herself falling off her bike and was going to stay home to rest and practice the trumpet. And the call was before baseball or after baseball? After baseball. It was presumably post-injury. after baseball. Presumably, but we don't know the exact timeline. Right. Mm. Right. So could have happened beforehand and been a premeditated thing where she called and said, I've fallen off my bike and, and hurt myself. I'm not going to come in today, but then maybe she does come in anyway and does this tuba shenanigans. This is my guess. Okay. To me, the reason why I think Mr. What's his name? Downing. Oh, no, the the main detective. Oh, Encyclopedia Brown, baby. (laughs) The main character, sorry. What's the main character's name? Should we do? Encyclopedia Danny Brown. Encyclopedia. Is that his? Is that his? That's another name? rapper, but you only get one bonus point for rap pun per episode, <laughs> as is a long established. Encyclopedia Brown. Now that actually, wait, let me sidestep. I feel like the dentist thing that could have been a nugget there too. Like there could have been some. Uh, I don't know if there's some value there. At least I think to, there, there's to, nothing. There's so, nothing there. There's nothing. Okay, there. it just <laughs> happened that he arrived late. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is just me just trying to put a guess out there at this point. Mm-hmm. I think Mr. Detective thinks it's Alma because the timing is too impeccable for the, all the things to have come together. And she has motive. That's where I'm landing. Okay. All right. So timing too perfect. Got it. Do you have a guess, Bettina? Side note before my guess, Nemo didn't tune before the show. Like <laughs> I, That's the thing. He got there right before the performance. So it was mm. just kind of like, we're there. You got to go. Could have pulled that thing like in um. What's that spy movie called? Agent Cody Banks 2. Agent Whoa, Cody Banks 2. A he deep was cut. he was playing he was playing a fake clarinet. He was playing a fake clarinet, that's true. Whoa. Wow. I did not remember that. He missed out. He should have used a fake tuba. You need the yeah. fake tuba. All right. And they played the theme song of Agent Cody Banks on <laughs> on all Amazing. the orchestral instruments. Amazing. Do you have a guess of uh why Alma is lying and how E B knew? I I mean Something along the similar lines, but I'm going to take a guess and say she called before the baseball. Okay. Found them playing baseball. Gotcha. Boom. Okay. Ran over. So I feel that. I am happy to say that you are both incorrect. Dang it. But Damn. the truth of how he knew she was lying is that part of the fall, one of her injuries was that she had a cut lip. 
So if she has a cut lip, she couldn't play the trumpet at all. So her whole life, I'm going to stay home and practice the trumpet does not make any sense. So you know it's a lie. So, Or she's just a monster and doesn't care about the cut. (laughs) She could practice through the cut. Yeah, bloody reads. Yeah. Yeah. So no no points for correct guesses, but I am going to give Gabe a bonus point for thinking that Mr. Downing might have been in the mix, which I think is great. And I gave Bettina a bonus point for reminding us all of the plot details of Agent Cody Banks 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> and now the score is two to one in favor of Bettina. One final Whoa. thing that is cool from the description at the end, the solution. It says that when Mr. Downing found out about this, he demoted Alma to the triangle. Ooh. So she got a step down even <laughs> further in the orchestra. Mr. That's, Downing's my favorite wow. NPC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> tough stuff. But hey. Do the crime, pay the time. Yep, mess around, find out. Bang, bang. Mess around, <laughs> find out. Okay, just one thing to comment upon around solving these mysteries. Sure. Don't overthink them. Is that fair to say? Look, I would say usually with Encyclopedia Brown Mysteries, there's like one little tiny thing that yeah. doesn't add up. It's And it's okay, just good. like, right. it's a question of which detail in the story is the one detail that flips the script. But yeah, totally. it's it's just usually nothing like grandiose. It's usually just something like that where it's like, <laughs> oh, he mentioned she had a cut. That doesn't make sense. How could you play the trumpet? Boom. Got you. We're not Christopher Nolan deep cut. No, we're not. Well, actually, you know, her last name. <laughs> I guess my brain was like, I'm expecting tenet end of the (laughs) (laughs) alma is actually a time traveler (laughs) that's right we're in the multiverse and alma doesn't exist (laughs) okay gotcha (laughs) all right let's get into our second mystery this one is called the case of the toy locomotive so encyclopedia brown sally kimball and this guy whose name is saul calvin s-o-l Calvin. Saul Calvin and our two detectives go to the Best Buy toy company, not the Best Buy tech company, but the Best Buy toy company. And Saul has a sister, hey, Saul's sister, who is four years old, and she is a toy tester at the factory. So at the factory, they have a room with five young kids, two teachers, and a bunch of toys. It's a nursery school classroom where the kids come three days a week for school and to play with the toys during free time. And that helps the company with toy research. I don't know that this is ethical. This feels like a mix of education and child labor. Yeah. But uh, that's what the school is doing. But, you know, these books were written a while ago. So maybe maybe labor laws are different. I think this one came out in the 2000s, though. But the authors started writing them in like the 60s. Hmm. But anyway, the kids also don't know that they are toy testers. I hope the parents do. Otherwise, this is super duper illegal. But today what the toy company is doing is holding a toy auction for new toys that were made but the testers didn't like. So I guess rather than throw them out, people can decide, well, I like this toy and get them for themselves or their kid or whatever. So when they have this all set up, they have like the kids in a playroom and then people taking notes behind like a one-way mirror, just making this even creepier. I really don't like the Best Buy toy company. Now, they set up an auction and toys are laid out on a table. And Encyclopedia Brown sees an electric train and asks if the kids would actually play with something like this. And Saul says it belongs to one of the employees and that Saul wants to bid on it. He wants to buy this train for his sister. Now... People fill in the room, including Bugs Meanie's cousin named Sledge O'Hara. Bugs Meanie has a cousin named Sledge O'Hara. And if you know anything about Bugs Meanie, he sucks. So initial suspicions are for Sledge O'Hara also sucking and potentially trying to do some shenanigans. Sledge O'Hara has his right arm in a sling. 
and the auction takes place and he ends up winning the electric train. When Sledge wins it, he asks the auctioneer, what happens if the train doesn't work or something goes wrong with it? And the person in charge of the auction, Mr. Wilmot, says that if that happens, Sledge can return the busted toy and pick up any other toy for free. So Mr. Wilmot puts the train inside of a gift bag and gives it to Sledge. Since Sledge's right arm is in a sling, he puts it over his left shoulder. And Sledge has a bit of a sly grin on his face as he's leaving, which Encyclopedia Brown finds suspicious. Later that day, Sledge comes back empty-handed and claims that just after he left the toy factory, two teenagers saw the gift bag and stole his toy. He claims that he was leaving through the revolving door in the back of the factory, but a teenager got ahead of him and jammed the door, and then the other teenager came in and took the bag with the train. So it's like a coordinated heist of get this guy trapped in the revolving door and steal his bag from him. So Sledge wants to get a free toy, saying that, you know, per your policy, I should get a free toy. Mr. Wilma asks if anyone saw this crime take place, and Sledge says, no, the theft is just another chapter in my life of toil and hardship. Mr. Wilmot asks why Sledge left from the back door of the factory and not the front door. Sledge says that his bus home stops behind the factory and he was worried about bad guys waiting out the front. He thought that would be more likely where people would want to steal toys from people who just bought them. So he went out the back, gives this reasoning. Mr. Wilmot buys it and lets Sledge pick out another toy. But before he hands over the toy to Sledge. Encyclopedia Brown steps in saying, not so fast. I know Sledge is lying and here's how I can prove it. So I turn to the two of you. How did Encyclopedia Brown know that Sledge was full of crap or sludge, I guess? Mm, This is juicy. Another juicy one. Mm -hmm. What are the details again about Sledge's- On a sling? Yes, his arm is in a sling. Does it say what side? It says his right arm. Right arm so his right arm sling. is in a sling. And then when he got the bag, he put it over his left shoulder and then exited via the revolving door. When he came back to ask for a new toy, does it report the situation of his arms? Yes, they don't say anything about him switching the arm. It's in a different sling. His okay. his arm is still in the same sling situation. Right arm, same sling sling down. situation. Mm-hmm. The two... People that he alleged teenagers, he says, right? Calls them just teenagers Mm -hmm. that stole the stuff from him. There was no other indication of who they were. Is there about the teenagers? No, no other information. And he says no one saw it. There was no witnesses. So it's just his word. (laughs) How did they jam the the revolving door? Like it was just kind of like stuck. Like he was. He said one got in front of him. So I guess like if you're pushing one way, they got on the other side to push it the other way. So it would be like. I'm imagining one teenager is outside of the factory. One teenager is inside of the factory. He is trying to leave via the revolving door. Teenager outside the factory holds it so that he can't get out. And then teenager inside the factory comes up from behind, takes the bag, and then Mm. goes either out a different way or something like that. That's what I'm imagining. But basically, he says, someone in front of me jammed the door so that the other kid could swoop in and take it from me. Okay, I have a guess. All right. What do you got? My guess is that if there's only one exit out of the revolving door, Mm -hmm. if that is like, you know, sometimes the revolving door exit, you have like the traditional door next to it, right? Sure. And you have the revolving door in the middle. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming this is saying there's only a revolving door to get out the back. 
Yes, I believe from the description, the back door is only revolving, but then there is a front door to the factory. So in theory, the teenager could have, could have grabbed it the and then run out the front door. Right. Yeah. I'm assuming that didn't happen because that would be too on the nose for people to discover, why is there a teenage boy sprinting through the front door? Sure. I think them being able to lock him into the revolving door only means that they would have had to have walked and pushed, rotated the door again for them to exit. Mm-hmm. For them to steal it from him. Mm-hmm. Also, unless they're in the same little pod in the revolving door thing, yeah, they're going to be on opposite sides of the window of the revolving door. You know what I'm saying? So one's yeah. going to be outside, one's going to be inside. So either they're sharing a little revolving door pod, mm-hmm. and if they're not, they have to rotate the door eventually. So they're all going to be geographically there together again. So to me, that's just the revolving door situation seems a little too sus. Gotcha. And that there's only one way out. And to jam it means that eventually you're going to, like, to me, it just seems too improbable of a system. Sure. The geography doesn't line up. Yes. Got it. Or the geometry doesn't line up. One of the two. The geometry doesn't line up. To gotcha. Me. But Tina, what do you have? Hmm. That does make sense. I will say that there's definitely lead on all of those toys. He doesn't need any of those toys. <laughs> oh. Do you have a guess of the of the lie, aside from the unscrupulous nature of the Best Buy Toy Factory, a shady company at best? Um, oh, there's so many other details, too. <laughs> I'm reading through the details now. Um, Saul is the one trying to... He wants to buy the train for his sister, Birdie, who works at the factory. Yes, but he wasn't able to get it. No, because Sledge outbid him. Okay. So I'm trying to analyze to see if he's like just an NPC additional character mm-hmm. or unknown sister. Again, what I will say, this is another one of those where Encyclopedia Brown knows that Sledge is guilty and he's never wrong. So Sledge did do it. It's just a question of what about Sledge's story doesn't make sense. Mm. So it's similar to the last time. If Encyclopedia Brown says someone's guilty, they are guilty. He is never incorrect. Hmm. Who's who's Bugs Meanie? Bugs Meanie is a bully in town who is... He'll come up in a future mystery, don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, this guy being... Bugs Meanie's cousin is the most damning piece of evidence possible. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, my cousin is Satan incarnate. Like, yeah. it means he's for sure guilty. He's Extra. Extra yeah, guilty. It means from page one we knew this guy did it for sure. I mean, I can't think of any other logic that makes more sense than the initial claim, which was, yes, the revolving door does go in one direction. So hypothetically, like, Let's say they jammed it, one in the front, one in the back. Then one of the first people out or one of the first people in would be one of the teenagers. Mm -hmm. But then the second after that would be Sledge. So Sledge would be outside and the two kids would be inside. Okay. And then Sledge could have easily fought them back if they were to escape from the back. Okay. Okay. Unless they escaped from the front. Got it. Mm. So yours is more of like the location doesn't make sense. Gabe is more of the the actual f- geometry inside the the revolving door doesn't make sense. Well, I am here to say you are both close, but no cigars. Shoot. I knew it had something to do with it. It does involve the revolving door. So I'm going to give you a bonus point, Gabe, for kind of picking up on that. But okay. the key thing is that revolving doors in America only go counterclockwise. And because... 
the right arm of Sledge was in a sling, oh. he has to push with his, his left, left hand. Arm. Yeah, that's right. So if he's pushing with his left arm and the bag is over his left shoulder, there's no way that someone could steal a bag because his left arm would it's be pushing connected. against the door. So there's no way to mm. take the bag off of him. If he was pushing with his right arm, then theoretically, yes, yeah, someone could take it off the shoulder and run off with it. But he would have been pushing with the arm that had Dang the thing, it. you know, on the oh. shoulder. So there's no way to break it free unless they like ripped the it. bag off. Yeah. This entire I, time, I just assumed shoot. that like, because when I go into revolving doors, I don't like holding them. Oh, you let other people do the work and then you just kind of scooch. It's either that or I, I just push like this. Gotcha. Always. Yeah. Like a okay, okay. Push. Yeah. yeah, and not a hand yeah. push. Yeah, so that was the key thing. I was similar where I thought it was just like, well, I knew that they always go that way. And I asked my wife, Kelly, who is an architect? I was like, why do they always go counterclockwise? counterclockwise. Like, yeah. what's the deal? She said it's twofold. One, fire safety wise, like if all revolving doors go the same way, then if you're in a panic, you just oh, know yeah. like, Makes oh, sense. yeah. And you don't like think it might go the other way. <laughs> but also apparently the reason why in America it's that way is that most people are right-handed so you would push it that way and then also we drive on the right side side of the road road. yeah and apparently in some countries where you're driving the left side of the road revolving doors go the other way so like in australia new zealand you might have revolving doors go the other way so that has been mystery time and architecture corner with the folks from meddling adults this is now the halfway point in the episode so so we're gonna take a break it's tied two to two which is very exciting so listeners at home will break for a mid-roll break you'll hear you know stuff about the show ads that raise money for charity stuff like that and then we'll get back for our final two mysteries Sleuths, hello and welcome to Middling Adults, the mid-roll break for meddling adults. Now, the song you just heard was from Bettina Campomanes, aka Valiant Vermin, wherever you stream your music. That song is called New Sensation. It is my favorite song of hers. She has a whole bunch of bangers, and you can hear all of them just by searching for Valiant Vermin wherever you listen to music. And then at the end of the show, we'll have a song from Gabe Baker. Oh, cool. The musical episode. In this mid-roll break, though, only thing I want to talk about here is helping the show even by not giving money directly you can still give money to charity you can do so by listening to the show and telling other people about the show because we have ads inserted into every episode of meddling adults now every time you download the episode you're going to raise money for charity i take all that ad money and add it to our pile that covers expenses and then goes to charity so if you're not in a position where you can give to the patreon or give a one-time donation at paypal.me meddling adults that's okay just by listening to the show and by telling people about the show you are still raising money for charity. So if you think of someone who might like the show, reach out to them directly, or you can post about the show on social media, or you can leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All of those things help more people find the show, and more people listening to the show means more downloads, and more downloads means more money for charity. So that is how you can help. Now, I mentioned ads. Before we get back to the rest of the episode, you'll hear some ads. Some of them will be read by me, and others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally, and I have some control over the ads, but sometimes ads still get through, like companies will list something that is gambling as gaming, and I have gambling blocked, but not gaming blocked. So if anything weird comes through, send an email to middlingadults at gmail.com, and then I will tell my ad people to get it squashed. So once those ads are complete, we will get back to this episode of Meddling Adults.
Now we are back. Let's get into mystery number three, which is called The Case of the Black Horse. So someone comes up to Encyclopedia Brown and Sally Kimball. His name, Waldo Emerson. Not Ralph Waldo Emerson, just Waldo Emerson. <laughs> He's here. The narrator describes him as looking like he had stepped off of a roof or worse. Sally Kimball says, good to see you, Waldo. Haven't seen you round lately. And Waldo says, don't say that word. And we learn from the narrator that Waldo doesn't like hearing the word round because it reminds him that some kids believe the world is round. Yes, that's right. Waldo is a flat earther and he is the president of the Idaville Junior Flat Earth Society. <laughs> now, these books do fictionally take place in Florida. Idaville, Florida is a fictional town in Florida. So they do take place in Florida, making this a little more believable. But I'm very happy to learn the next line in the book is... After saying he's the president, the next line states he is the only member. So thank mm. God, at least the fictional town of Florida is not like the rest of Florida where books are illegal, but murder is fine. So he's the only member. He's a flat earther. He wrote an essay for Columbus Day. It is a contest in the library about Christopher Columbus. He wrote the best essay about Christopher Columbus, which was stolen. His essay apparently detailed how Christopher Columbus proved that the Earth is flat because he didn't sail off of the curve of the Earth. I don't know how this essay was going to win in a contest at the library, but I don't know. Florida libraries these days, they don't have books in them anymore. <laughs> so Waldo thinks that someone by the name of Stinky Redmond mm. stole his essay, but Stinky Redmond says that he did not do it. Waldo told Stinky to meet him at the carousel, which he is very particular about calling the carousel and not the merry-go-round, in 30 minutes, because that is where he thinks Stinky stole the essay, and he's going to, like, scene of the crime, prove it. So they end up going to the park where the carousel is. Sally asks Waldo, why do you think the Earth is flat on the way there? Waldo explains that the Earth is mostly water, but there's no humps in lakes or ponds. So he thinks they'd be, like, curved, like the Earth would be if the Earth was round. Really good stuff here. So he also says that pictures from space are fake because, quote, if Earth were a globe, China would be under the United States. My neighbor, Mr. Chan, moved here from China and he would have hung by his feet when he lived there. And he didn't. So he also doesn't understand how gravity works either. <laughs> Classic. Classic stuff. So they arrive at the carousel and they see Stinky waiting there. Encyclopedia Brown goes, OK, give your story. Both of you. Waldo says that when he got on the carousel yesterday, Stinky was already standing by the black horse. The black horse has three hooves on the ground and one hoof raised, and it has a pole through the middle just like a normal carousel horse. And it's also next to one of those benches that you'll see on carousels for people who don't want to ride on horses or other animals. So on that bench is where Waldo placed his backpack, which had his essay inside of it. And he says, Stinky took it out of my bag and ran off with it. Stinky says that is not true. He says he wrote his own essay about Columbus proving that the earth is flat. And Waldo says that the horse that he got on was the white horse three in front of the black horse. So we have the black horse that's got three legs down and one leg up like this. And then we have a bench next to it. And then three horses in front of that is the white horse that Waldo was on. So because he was only three horses in front, he couldn't see Stinky from his point of view. But he says that he saw Stinky run off of the bench when the ride was over. Stinky explains that he was on the bench because he got motion sickness from the up and down motion of the black horse. So he got off of that and sat on the bench for the rest of the ride, didn't touch the bag that was there, and then 
the reason that he was running away from the carousel, because Waldo says, I saw you running, he says he was just rushing off because he had to go to the bathroom really badly. Encyclopedia Brown then looks at the placement of the bench and the horses, kind of analyzing the particular horses that they said that they rode on, and he knows that one of the two is lying. So I turn it over to the two of you. Is Stinky lying or is Waldo lying? And what makes you think one of them is lying? Well. Mm -hmm. Happy to recap anything that you have questions about. Can you recap the positioning of the bench to the carousel? It's one of those benches that's on the carousel, so it like still spins. Oh, so okay. and it's on that the is directly next to the horse. So it will still spin around, but it won't move up and down. And Stinky says that he was on the black horse with the one hoof raised and that it was moving up and down and he started to get motion sick. So he moved over to the bench. Stinky moved over to the bench. And he says the bag was there, but I didn't take anything out of it. And then the reason I ran away was because I had to go to the bathroom really badly. Three horses in front of that was where Waldo was on a white horse. You mentioned something about Stinky feeling sick. Is that what Stinky said? Yeah, Stinky's reasoning for being on the bench, because Waldo's like, you were on the bench. That's where my bag was. Like, obviously, yeah. you did it. He says, I was only on the bench because I was on the horse with the hoof up, and that one was moving up and down, and I got motion sick, so then I moved over to the bench. Wait, so the Waldo was on a white horse, mm -hmm. like three horses, and for the black horse. Yeah, in front of Stinky. But Stinky said that I was on a white horse. Stinky says he was on the black horse that is oh, directly next to the bench. The horse that's got three hooves on the ground and one up like a like standing still one. And then Waldo was on like a white prancing horse, like a mid jump horse. And the bag, his bag was on the bench. He said he put it on the bench. Yeah. So basically Waldo was like walking, picking his horse, saw a bench, was like, I'll put my bag here, kept yep. walking. and was like, I want to get on that white jumping horse. I'm going to blame Waldo for this. <laughs> okay. Why do you think it's Waldo? I mean, if you leave it on a bench, are you going to like stare at it the entire time? I mean, like if you're a kid, I would just like face forward. I wouldn't constantly like look back. Got it. Yeah. So you're saying, why would you put it on the bench behind you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And like if someone three horses back sat there and then had to leave, got sick, they would hop out. I would assume that carousel would also spin counterclockwise. It does, yeah. I think it does. There was an old Encyclopedia Brown mystery that I didn't do on the show because there was one where the answer was like, well, American ones go counterclockwise and European ones go clockwise. And you were like supposed to know that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it does. In my brain, it's going counterclockwise and the bench is to the right of the horse, like closer to the outside. Right. So like if I ran off, that means if the carousel were turning counterclockwise like mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. running off, he wouldn't even see him running away. I like it. He would, I like he it. Wouldn't, he I would like just it. find the bag gone, supposedly. Mm. I gotcha. All right, cool. What about you, Gabe? Oh, that's a great insight. Part of me also was leaning on Stinky turned in a Columbus essay as well. Is that the case, right? Yes, yes. He says he turned in a Columbus essay about how he proved that the earth was flat, but <laughs> it was my own creation. Right. It does feel like the easier solution to this would be, you know, go to the person at the library and have them both recite it. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like, tell me about There's your essay. certainly an easier solution, but not as much fun for a mystery book. <laughs> exactly. Not as much fun as a mystery book. <laughs>
Okay. So you have, because I guess my brain is going to, I feel like there's a connection between the flat earther club mm. being represented and also slash essay being turned in. Whose the essay is it? But of course, the carousel and the positioning of the bag and the bench. So I'll just say, I think Stinky is lying. Okay. Because he's not even a part of the Flat Earther Club. Like, what? <laughs> Come on. Oh, okay. There's only That's one the only member. member. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why don't you even try to mm-hmm. say I wrote Ooh. something about a topic I'm not even invested in? He's, he's got blood in the game. He's, he, he's got skin in the game. Like, what's his name? Waldo. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think the likelihood of him actually pinning an essay about this topic okay. out the window. All right. To me, that's the dead giveaway. And then I'm not going to take Patina's guess, but I think that there's some warrant there to the positioning of the, the bench to the carousel, visually mm-hmm. being able to see. So I'll just go with the flat earther. Okay. Club. You think Stinky's That's my leaning gotcha. there. Stinky's lying. Okay. Well, I am happy to say that Stinky was the liar, <gasps> but your reasoning is incorrect, Gabe. But I've right. given you each a bonus point. Bettina, I give you a bonus point because your guess was what mine was. I thought the positioning didn't make sense. Why would you put it behind you? Like, you wouldn't see him if he was behind you. Like, I thought it was all, like, the positioning, it, it just felt like... It wasn't lining up. And then also, I wanted the Flat Earth guy to be guilty a little mm. bit, too. So, and I wanted Stinky to they be innocent. I was, like, be I was like, Stinky, you know, yeah, he's got a bad name, but, like, that doesn't mean he's guilty. He doesn't have any association of Bugs Meanie. So I give you a bonus point for Misery Loves Company. Gabe, I give you a bonus point because you were right that it was Stinky, but the reasoning was wrong. The reason that you know it's wrong is that the way that the horse was described... It's a horse with three hooves on the ground and one up, and it's directly next to the bench, meaning that it's, like, attached to the ground just like the bench is. So it doesn't move up and down. down. Yeah. So him saying that I got motion sickness from it moving up and down, Uh, that's the lie. Now I wrote that note down, too. Yeah. So the reason that I ended up picking this one, Encyclopedia Brown in the description just says, like, Everyone knows that the carousel horses with three legs on the ground don't move. And like I looked oh, up and like, I didn't that know is that a thing. <laughs> yeah, apparently since 1905, that was like established so that people could like pick ones if they didn't want to be in a moving one. Only horses like mid-jump go up and down, and then ones with any sort of with two or more feet are on the ground of the horse that doesn't move. But my reasoning that it also would have been maybe guessable by someone and not just like complete tricky bullshit was like oh if it's on the same platform as the bench and then feet it's not are on gonna the move ground, up and down it wouldn't move yeah so i thought that made it like a little it's definitely one of our trickier ones i always make mystery three the hardest one <laughs> but i thought that's a good one though yeah i thought it, it, it was pretty fun all right but now let's get into mystery four it is tied three to three so it's anybody's game this is it as we get it. into our final mystery this case is called the case of the ring in the reef so a kid by the name of Hector Haywood comes to Encyclopedia Brown and Sally Kimball. And he says that Bugs Meany, haha, he's here. He says Bugs Meany stole Mrs. Van Calling's diamond ring from him. Now, if you're wondering why Hector Haywood has Mrs. Van Calling's diamond ring, it's because Mrs. Van Calling lost her ring and she put an ad in the newspaper offering a reward for whoever finds it. 
Hector says that he was at the beach and he found the ring in the sand. So he had it and he was planning on bringing it to Mrs. Van Calling, but then it was stolen from him and he is convinced that Bugs Meany stole it. Apparently, Mrs. Von Calling thought she lost it while she was scuba diving. So she hired scuba divers to look for it in the reef. So Mrs. Van Calling's got money if she can hire scuba divers for her lost ring. She had done that. Hector ran into Bugs when he was coming back from the beach. And he told Bugs Meany, huge mistake. Hector told Bugs Meany that he found the ring from the newspaper and that he was going to bring it to... Mrs. Van Calling. So Hector really thinks he did it, but he's scared of Bugs and doesn't want to confront him because he's a bully. But Encyclopedia Brown reminds Hector that Sally Kimball beats up Bugs Meany all the time, which is true. Once per book, she knocks him on his ass. So true facts. So they pass that information along. And the narrator says, last time Sally Kimball hit Bugs so hard, quote, his eyes rolled up far enough to see his brains. So that gives Hector some confidence and they go to see Bugs Meany. When they see Bugs Meany, he yells at them as he always does. He yells them some sort of insult. He yells, go adopt an egg. And Sally Kimball says, don't get your dandruff up. I don't know what either of these things mean, but they're saying mean things at each other. I don't know what Different kind generation. of insults. Yeah, I, I will say that from now on. Go, Go adopt, adopt an egg. An egg. Ah, don't get your dandruff up. <laughs> All right. Sally Kimball accuses Bugs of stealing the ring from Hector. And Bugs calls himself the idol of American youth. And he says that he found the ring fair and square. He would never steal it. So Sally tries to figure out, all right, where'd you find it? Bugs says that he was diving at dawn to see the reef because it's very beautiful. And Bugs about this says, quote, the pursuit of beauty is my life. I don't get along on good looks alone. He claims that his foot brushed a bright yellow dead fish at the bottom of the reef and he moved it aside and he saw the ring lying under this dead yellow fish. Sally Kimball doesn't believe him and Bugs is very offended that she doesn't believe him. So they get into a fight, of course, a fist fight. And the narrator says Bugs spun like a propeller after she clocks him in the face. Bugs spun like a propeller. Encyclopedia Brown thought he saw Bugs's face and the back of his head at the same time. So she just gives him a nasty hook. And as he is on the ground, Encyclopedia Brown tells Bugs Meany, I know you're lying and I can prove it. So I turn it to the two of you. What about Bugs Meany's story did not make sense. How did Encyclopedia Brown know that Bugs Meany was lying? So Bugs found it in the sand first? Hector did. Hector found it in the sand. Oh, I see. I got it. Bugs says, that's not true. Hector's lying. I found it in the water underneath a A dead dead yellow fish. fish. Mm -hmm. Oh. And that's his reasoning of, oh, that's why the scuba people didn't find it, because they didn't look under this dead fish. So Bugs was swimming there after the scuba team. And he says, ah, well, I moved over this dead fish and it was underneath the dead fish. The scuba team must have missed it. Okay, what is it? That boy Bugs is a liar, bro. (laughs) Okay. The reason he's lying (laughs) is because when fish die, they Mm. float. Okay, okay. He can't brush his foot over the fish if the fish was on the ground in the water. All right. That's, <laughs> That's just my guess. And if okay. he was down, if he was diving, he has to go. He's not on the surface of the water. So it's not right. like on it's the shore. Scuba, he's it's scuba, scuba diving. Diveable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scuba dive deepable. Yeah, scuba 
Diveable, deep, deep, diveable, deep, scuba, deep, diveable. Anyway, scuba Bettina, what's your guess? That's when my I guess. when I was thinking of reefs, I like imagined the ones that were close to the surface because not all of them are deep, mm. and you can walk through them. Okay, so I was like not questioning that aspect of it. Mm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. But that's okay. We don't know that that's right. That's it. That's just the thought that Gabe had. He could be right. He could be wrong. That's fair too. No, you're right. That's a good thought. Go adopt an egg. My God, classic. There's, <laughs> there's something, some, there's the something about so it. The something insult. to the egg insult. The egg. <laughs> um, what time is dawn? I would say like... Sunrise. Mm, I mean, the moon at night pushes the water. Mm. The tides. Oh, the tides. Oh. <laughs> So you think it's a tides concern? It's a tides concern. Okay. How could you, as an independent, I mean, like, I guess at that point, it does make sense, like, fish-wise. I'd connect it to the fish thing. Like, the fish do float, let's say, and the tide is up still because, like, the sun is still coming up, et cetera. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The possibility of going in, I I don't know. Wait, (laughs) How high is that tide? God damn. <laughs> the tide is high, but I'm holding on. <laughs> but I'm finding a ring underneath a dead fish. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know what time it would be for the for the water to go down, but hypothetically, if it, if it were high tide. Gotcha. So you're saying that the key detail of his lie is him saying, I was there at dawn. That just doesn't make sense. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I am happy to report that Gabe was correct. Nailed it 100%. As the description states, if this fish, which Bug said is bright yellow, that means that a fish would have recently died. And oh. if a fish recently dies, it floats. The only type of fish that would sink would be one that's been dead for a very long time and would have lost like all of the air in its lungs gills whatever that makes it float mm. so for bugs to say that it was yellow and on the ground doesn't make any sense and i believe even yes. bright yellow is the description so that is the truth of it <laughs> but there's so many science things i'm learning from this <laughs> yeah look it's a very educational podcast I, it uh-huh. really is but Tina, i did give you a bonus point though because i do like the thought of i do like the thought of the tides coming into play because i also thought like something about him saying i went out at dawn just like didn't feel right yeah. didn't feel right to me my my guess though i felt like the fish wouldn't be yellow so i was like kind of there but no it's the floating so gabe mm. you absolutely nailed it Meaning Gabe gets three points. Patina just has one. But that means Gabe is the winner of this episode, six to four. Meaning you have reigned victorious and earned money for the Center for Refugee Services. Gabe, how does it feel to be the winner of this episode of Meddling Adults? I'm honored. This was tougher than I expected. They're tricky. So I do feel a little like disappointed because I did get bested by the others. (laughs) (laughs) If you will. If it makes you feel any better, these all came from Encyclopedia Brown number 23. And I weeded out like six other ones from it because they were too easy. So there are 10 mysteries per book. And these were the four that I was like, yeah, they're hard enough. Like, so you didn't, it's not like you're bad at it. You're just potentially not the best at uh, the ones I deem tricky enough to be entertaining enough for this podcast. (laughs) 
No, I love it though. I'm well. I'm to close out my answer. I'm happy. I'm honored. Thank you good, for having good, me, good. Bettina. I feel like it was like a toss up between our answers. Oh, so well, well done. done well as well. Done. Yes, Bettina. Well done. Yes, it was second place out of two, but it was very close, and it was, it was a two point differential. You had some good thoughts. You had some good jokes. You had some songs in there. Overall, wonderful performance. You fought valiantly. So do not hold your head low. Hold it high like you're going to the atmosphere which does exist as yes. much as Waldo doesn't like to think that it does. Yeah, now I need to I need to like work on all my mysteries. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, you you'll have to, you know, give it some more thought and come back stronger. Mm, that was hard. <laughs> some critical thinking. It's some tricky stuff. I I appreciate you both taking the time. If people want to find each of you doing stuff musically, internet-wise, anything else, now's the time to plug your stuff. Bettina, how about you? Where can people find you? I'm on all streaming platforms under Valiant Vermin for music. I DJ around the local area of LA. And yeah, if you want to see my film stuff, my at is Bethole. It's like Butthole, except with a U, it's like an E instead. There it is. Yes. And you'll have heard Bettina's intro music and stuff throughout this podcast. And maybe I found a way to get both of your songs somewhere, either an intro or outro or something. I'll, I'll get clips of those somehow. And as long as I legally have both of your approval to do so. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Sick. Great. Verbal Dude. agreement. Dude. Cool. Tight. Yeah. Nice. Sweet. Right. We got it in writing. Gabe, where can people find you? Yes. Bettina, that's great to hear about your stuff, by the way. I don't have as cool of an artist name as as you do. But my, <laughs> name, my artist name is my name, Gabe Baker. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should put like a victorious Gabe Baker. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, no, but you can follow me at the Gabe Baker. Gabe, short for Gabriel Baker, like the pastries. And on all Instagram, all the things. And Gabe Baker just on streaming platforms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Oh, and I, I also forgot that you also, you can find Gabe on reality TV, right? You were on- I uh, found my way on- You the, were on American on Ninja Warrior? Yeah, or yes. you, you've been on I was a couple a of those. Warrior. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I did the the Bachelor music spinoff show, and I will never forget. They, they, they did just they, mm, you were they too. Didn't show me. They didn't show you because you were too, too normal. normal. <laughs> <I was> too <laughs> Which normal honestly, my... like that's high praise. Be like, I was on the Bachelor, and they didn't put I'm me on. Be like, wow, he sounds like a nice, normal human being that doesn't suck. He, Wait, I want to exactly see this. They told me he was he on. Probably, listen to your yeah. heart. Yeah, it's called Listen to Your Heart. You can find final like on Hulu. I think it's on Hulu now. Yeah, it seems like. Ages ago, <laughs> it's a different me, different me at the same time. I'm joking. New year, new you. Good times. But I'm in the acting space, Bettina. So if you ever, oh, uh-huh. I'll, I'll be hopefully be out out west coast along the way. So I'll Sweet. definitely connect. Yeah, with make some yeah. connections. Fun stuff. Well, thank you both so much for joining, listeners. Thank you for listening. And I will have to say, you know, this was some fun times. You both are it's two lovely times. people, and what better way to spend a day than with two fantastic meddling adults? Yeah. Let me tell you. Trying to solve this mystery is more than I can take I'm Scooby-Dooing with the gang of heartbreak Slipping and sliding, don't know if it's right But there ain't no player safe Hello. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Meddling Adults. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by me, Mike Schubert. It is produced and edited by Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Kumpamanas and Brandon Grugel. The art is by Maia Anatius and Kelly Schubert. And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to follow the show on social media, we are at Meddling Adults on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You also can go to patreon.com slash meddlingadults to become a part of the team that helps raise money for charity. And if you would rather give on a one-time basis as opposed to a monthly basis, you can go to PayPal 
paypal.me slash meddling adults and help us raise money for charity. Our next episode is a very fun one. We are going to have the Super Carlin Brothers on the pod for a super duper Carlin Bros battle. So make sure you're subscribed to Meddling Adults wherever you get your podcast so that you don't miss that episode. It will be the penultimate episode of this season four. But until then, thank you for listening to Meddling Adults. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.